0: I love the talking guys, show. I, hear guys talking. I hear two guys talking. I hear two guys
1: talking. I hear two guys talking. I hear two guys talking. I hear two guys talking. Two guys talking, I hear. I hear two guys talking. Scams are one of the most dangerous threats today, especially when it comes to our elders. As the number of victims and money taken continues to skyrocket, realize that there is hope. ScammerCast is your frontline battlefield for getting educated on the most recent scams, but also how to defend against them. Join us as we detail the processes, the traps, and the solutions to help us all hammer the scammers! Hammer the scammers. It's time for the ScammerCast. Here are your hosts, Curtis Bailey and Art Maynes.
2: Welcome back, everyone. This is Curtis Bailey, your co-host at ScammerCast.
3: And this is Art Mains, your other co-host at ScammerCast.com. And today we have a special treat for our listeners. You know, Kurt, we all work hard and try to save our money with the hope of one day having a secure and enjoyable retirement. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that.
2: Uh, Absolutely, I do. But unfortunately, sometimes the people we trust to advise us on how to reach that goal act in their own best interest, not in ours.
3: Yeah, I've certainly heard those stories along the way. I'm sure you have, too. Sure, sure have. So today on the Scammercast, we're going to interview someone with an insider's view of the financial services industry. Our guest is Molly from New York, who worked in compliance for a major financial services firm for over 30 years and has also had first hand experience with less-than-ethical financial advisors.
2: Today on on the show, Molly is going to share with us the signs and signals of a possible problem with a financial professional and help you keep your retirement savings safe. Welcome to the show, Molly.
4: Thank you very much. It's nice to be here.
2: Sponsored by Western Union and Midwest Trust. Molly, tell our listeners how you got interested in the financial services industry.
4: Well, my older brother had been in the industry and successful in New York as well, and It looked exciting to work in New York City, and it was a premier brokerage firm on Park Avenue in New York where I had my first job, and it was very exciting to me. And what I did is anytime I had an opportunity, I took a securities license. So I accumulated multiple licenses over the years, and before I needed them for my particular job, I would ask my boss if I could take, you know, an exam, so I'd study for it, and that's how I learned about the industry. And I was in multiple positions before I found myself in a compliance role. And by the time I was in my early 30s, I was in a compliance role, which I stayed at for the rest of my career, I in see. some fashion. So
2: tell our audience a little bit about uh, what goes on in compliance. That sounds like a, an ominous word.
4: Well, what goes on now in compliance is quite different than what went on 20, 25 years ago. In the 90s, you're looking at the dot-com era, and there was all kinds of issues with compliance back then before the regulators really got tough, and they're a lot tougher now than they used to be. Back in the 90s, it wasn't unusual to have brokers the word was churning, Hmm. over-trading accounts so that they can make commissions. And part of it was, is that if you bought a technology stock, a lot of them would go up very quickly. So the broker would turn around and sell it. And if the client was making money, they didn't notice that the broker was making more money.
2: I see. Hmm. So in in that kind of scenario, the broker's making money uh, two times, right? On the (laughs) trade-in and then the trade-out.
4: But let's say the client made seven percent on their account they're happy Mm
2: -hmm. they know they made
4: seven percent the broker made commissions twice or three times or four times if the broker had traded the account the correct way the client might have made ten percent i see
3: i see But the client
4: didn't know that
3: right so they didn't know what they were losing or or missing out on really
4: they were still making money so if anybody looked at their statements they'd see a profit yeah it could have been more of a profit if the financial advisor had done what was right for the client before what was right for themselves right and that's going back to the 90s where we didn't really have fee-based accounts at that time it was more commission based and product based and there was a lot more trading actual trading in accounts than there is today really we've moved into a more fee-based environment and that's thanks to the regulators today
3: okay so you think that's been a good thing overall
4: in a lot of ways, it's a good thing, but wherever you have financial advisors who are looking to do unscrupulous things, they're going to find ways to abuse the system. There are issues with fee-based accounts. For example, if you opened a fee-based account and the financial advisor did nothing for the fee, oh,
3: you right. know, didn't
4: talk to you for a year, didn't trade right. anything in the account, they call that reverse churning.
3: Interesting. Mm-kay.
4: That's the new trend these days. I see.
2: So tell our audience, uh, maybe we need, need to step back and define a couple terms. When you say a fee-based account, what does that mean?
4: That means you are charged a percentage-based fee, and it can be yearly, quarterly, however it's worked out at the particular firm. But let's just use an example of a client being charged 1% fee. Okay. You know, they have a $100,000 account, they're charged 1%, pretty cut and dry. Sure. You know what to expect. Right. The best scenario for an account like that would be where an advisor is meeting with them multiple times a year, possibly working on a financial plan with them, going over all their assets, going over their future, their retirement In that warrants one percent fee or possibly one and a half percent fee whatever it is agreed upon that's fairly standard fairly common these days the reverse case which would be concerning if you're charged a fee there is an expectation something is being done for that fee so if you're being charged a fee of one and a half percent And you haven't talked to your broker in two years. Why are you paying a fee? (laughs) That's that's a a good
3: point. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, he's just collecting money for nothing, basically, or she, perhaps.
4: So that comes down to suitability, really, when you find a financial advisor. And I know you wanted to step back a little bit as to how to find a financial advisor.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what can you say about that? What do you look for? What does a person look for when they're searching for a financial advisor?
4: What I look for... Is somebody who has my best interests in mind, Mm -hmm. somebody who listens to what my needs are and what future goals I have. If you have a financial advisor candidate or somebody you're speaking with who doesn't listen to you and does all the talking and assumes what your needs are, that's probably not the best person to have.
3: So it really comes down to those interpersonal kinds of dynamics. Does the person listen to you? Do they respond well? Do they return your phone calls, even those sorts of simple things?
4: Now that's part of it. The other part is, if I was not in the industry and I was going to find a financial advisor today, I wouldn't ask my hairdresser for a recommendation. Okay. Okay? Right. If you don't know a financial advisor and you're looking for one, a good place to start would be considering some of the top-rated investment firms. If it was me personally, I would go with someone who has a track record, not two years in the industry, but maybe somebody with 10, 20 years in the industry. Right. I would talk to possibly my accountant or possibly someone I know in the financial industry and maybe even call an interview a financial advisor mm-hmm. when you found one. Ask them. You know, tell me about your business. What kind of business do you do? Do you focus on any one area? Are there any areas that you don't do? Okay. I mean, if you're looking for an annuity and you call somebody up and they say, I've never sold an annuity, but I'm willing to sell you one, I'd probably go away. (laughs) I
3: wouldn't blame you, it'd be a smart thing to do. I mean,
4: me as an investor, I know a little bit about annuities. Sure. And they're very complex. Mm -hmm. One of the big focuses of regulators today are complex products. Yeah. And I think investors really need to be careful. You know, once you pick a financial advisor, you're not married to this person. Mm. And one of the biggest things that I found in speaking with multiple clients for yours and financial advisors, when clients will tell you I completely trust my financial advisor, for anyone who's a caregiver, that is concerning anybody who is a child of someone who says, I totally trust my financial advisor with my money. Well, you can trust somebody to a reasonable degree, trust but verify.
3: Perfect. You know, take a look at
4: your statements once in a while. Have somebody else do a spot check on your statements. You know, people can be completely blinded to what a financial advisor is doing. And I'm sure a lot of the time they're doing nothing but what's in the best interest of the client. But Mm -hmm. they're not always doing that. Not everyone is. And one of the things I would be concerned about, and you should keep your eyes and ears open, is your financial advisor having financial problems. Mm. You know, are they having trouble paying for their children to go to school? Are they in the middle of a major divorce, which is costing them a lot of money?
3: And so you would hear about these things in the course of normal in conversation. In the course of
4: normal conversation, even ask the financial advisor, what's going on with you today? You know, and over time, you're gonna hear these things. And you probably want somebody who doesn't need money really badly. Sure. Because if somebody is having problems themselves and is on a tight budget, they might not intentionally but might unconsciously put you in an investment that makes them a little bit more money or makes a choice which Mm -hmm. maybe isn't the most appropriate. And so those are considerations. I'm gonna tell you a couple of experiences I had with financial advisors.
3: Great, please do.
4: I was in the industry and my manager, who was very well respected in the financial industry, in the compliance area, had recommended a financial advisor to me, somebody that she had worked with, had mentored, and I felt, wow, you know, that's great that she gave me somebody. And I talked to this person several times, and he wanted to go over my assets, and my mother had just passed away, and I did not have a big chunk of money before this come in where I had to deal with it. And so he invested it, and then we had a couple really strange conversations. He said, I think we should make your account a fee-based account. And I said, why is that? And he said, so that I could pay more attention to your account. And I thought, well, does that mean he's not paying attention to my account? Right, sure. And then it got even stranger. I started seeing confirmations come to my house weeks after I spoke with him. And he did not have discretion. What discretion is, it means that he does not have to speak with me prior to entering trades. He did not have that agreement with me. Mm. And when it comes to discretion, there are some certain types of accounts that permit discretion, but that would be with formal legal documents. It wouldn't be a handwritten note saying, I give you discretion. So there's a
3: procedure to follow.
4: There are legal forms you would fill out to give your financial advisor discretion. Firm approved legal forms. Unless those are on file, you shouldn't be seeing any trades pop up in your account. If your financial advisor ever says to you, well, I know you don't really like to talk all the time, I'll do what's best for you and Mm. we can talk about it later, just don't tell anyone. If anyone ever says don't tell anyone, you should start telling someone. Sure. Right now, yeah. yeah. You know, if you see trades in your account that you don't know about, question them. Yeah. It's possible you perhaps misunderstood something, but right. it's also possible that a trade was entered that you did not authorize when that sure. definitely is something you need to question. Right, Like
3: right. you say, trust but verify. Correct. Yeah, yeah that's good.
2: Molly, uh, I work with uh, many clients who have financial advisors and some that have multiple financial advisors Uh, what's your perspective on having more than one financial advisor
4: that's a very good question i go both ways on that i say it's rather difficult to find someone you really connect with if i was going to have a financial advisor it would be somebody at a major firm and i kind of associate that with my perspective on hotels i travel a lot Mm -hmm and I'll only stay at major chain hotels in case there's bed bugs so I can sue them. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That right. would be my same concept when picking a financial advisor. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Bernie Madoff, yeah. all those folks who lost their money, who were people gonna sue?
3: Right, it was just Bernie.
4: If you're at a major firm behind that person, you have a much better chance of recouping any losses Mm -hmm. or them doing the right thing to stay in compliance with the regulators.
3: Yeah, because they have big compliance departments like you worked in.
4: Exactly. Another thing when it comes to picking your financial advisor, and I read an article that came out just this past week from Reuters on the broker check. If you go into FINRA.org, and you look up your financial advisor's name mm-hmm. which is fairly easy to do all mm-hmm. you input I've done it. their name okay it will show you their history their employment history it will show you where they've been registered there is a drawback of that not everything gets logged there really so if you're looking there thinking wow this person is fantastic there could be complaints or issues that are not noted on there why is that you know some people don't know that and Most people won't tell you that, Mm -hmm. but I've seen enough financial advisors who've been terminated for cause. The termination is gone, doesn't show up at all. And part of it is, I think that a financial advisor who's compromised or knows they're in trouble will hire a hotshot lawyer who will work down the complaint to a minimum. And then something kind of like the car industry, if you get a ticket, a really bad ticket, Mm okay, and you pay a fancy lawyer, that ticket goes away or it gets dumbed down.
3: Right, like the parking violation or something, yeah.
4: You're speeding at 100 miles an hour drunk, goes Mm -hmm. down to a parking violation. Right. You know, not every time, certainly. But it's the same concept. Mm -hmm. Brokers are afraid of lawsuits. It is a business. Brokerage firms are in the business of making money. They're not in the business of looking up every client and trying to be on their side. Right. Mm Now, there's a point where they do take care of clients as best that they can, but there's no doubt that they are in business to make money. Right. right. So
3: we've all got to keep that in mind, that they're in business to make money. And ideally, the good ones serve us and our goals. But your point really is, Molly, that not always is that the case.
4: In most cases, if a firm finds out that a financial advisor is doing the wrong thing, they will address it. The problem is, if it's a financial advisor they really don't want to lose, mm-hmm. it could be because they gave him a lot of upfront money. Let's mm-hmm. say they gave him a million dollars to stay. I see. And he just came over two years ago and they found out they got some raw deal here. This guy is just horrible. If they fire him, they may never see that two million dollars again.
3: Right. right. Sure. Yeah. So there are these sort of incentives to bargain down a violation or a lawsuit and to keep people around that maybe they've got a heavy investment in and, and it's not always looking out for the client. Is that, is that it?
4: I think it's a little bit better than it used to be. But let's look at the example of your financial advisor. All of a sudden, you find out your financial advisor leaves and goes to another firm. Why did they go to another firm? Yeah. Did they go to another firm because somebody offered them a big check? Did they go to another firm because they got fired for doing something they shouldn't have been doing?
3: And how do you find that out, or can you as a regular person?
4: You can't always find it out, and the current firm has 30 days to put something on their record as to why they're being terminated. Mm -hmm. In some cases, what I've seen is permitted to resign is the reason there when that person could have been doing something they should have gotten fired for. So it's kind of like if you're in an office and you're an employer and you have somebody, maybe a mother who has two children and is a single parent, and you're going to fire them because they stole from you, you decide, oh, I don't want to hurt that person's record and I don't want them to not have a job and not be able to Mm -hmm. take care of their kids, so I'm just going to let them resign. Right. What you're not looking at is that they're going to go to somewhere else and do the exact same thing over again. Yeah. So the the article, and it talked about the government getting involved a little bit, looking at a fired financial advisor who finds work within 30 days somewhere else. They usually, if it's something egregious like fraud or stealing money or churning something that is pretty serious, they might not get a job it a major firm, the Merrill Lynch's, the Payne Webbers, those firms probably won't touch them mm-hmm. to hire them because they have to go through a vetting process that they probably won't make it through. Right. But some of the budget companies absolutely will. Hmm. And that's why I recommend stay away from the small firms. Stay okay. away from the ones that have a lot of bad brokers. Because there's something that FINRA talks about, it's called the culture of compliance. Okay. Which right now is one of those big deals What that means is they're looking to see how are the ethics of the company because they believe that the ethics that are going around the company, how they treat each other, how they treat employees, how they treat customers is going to affect how financial advisors treat their clients Mm -hmm. and what they feel comfortable doing. The article also talked about in some of those firms where financial advisors are doing some things that they shouldn't be doing, it influences other people sitting around them. I talked to a financial advisor just this week who told me that a friend of theirs got terminated for forging documents. Hmm. And I told him, he is my friend, I told him, you don't want to go there. I said, you've got a nice business yourself. I know he's your friend since you were three years old, but you really don't want to go there. I said, if he made a conscious choice to falsify documents and to alter documents, and white out things and change the documents, you really don't want that person working for you. right? Because you will be held accountable for whatever that person does.
3: Wow. Let's back up for just a second. What do you recommend people do to begin checking out a prospective financial advisor? I mean, there's FINRA BrokerCheck, but are there other areas, other places that people should go to check out
4: of? Well, a, one thing on FINRA BrokerCheck that I haven't mentioned yet, and what I think is worthwhile, although it might not list all the complaints, take a look at the employment records. If somebody's in four firms in the last 10 years, you need to ask yourself, why are they moving from job to job to job? Mm. Because even if they're moving every year or two, it's not because of the upfront money because you'd have to stay a period of time to make good on that upfront money. So sure. yeah. they're running from something Okay. in a lot of cases. And you okay. really don't want somebody who is every year or two running to a new job because something's not catching up with them yet.
3: Right, right. You
4: know, I'm not saying somebody shouldn't move, but you shouldn't see multiple moves in a short period of time.
3: Right. And, and you're also not saying that, that this is rampant in the industry. You're saying that there are some bad actors, and, and it's important for us as regular consumers, investors, to be aware of some of the ways that bad people can fall through the cracks and we wouldn't know about them.
4: I'm not saying it's rampant, but based on the article in Reuters, the government had a number of, you know, they did uh, research and they found it was about 1% in change of bad financial advisors in the industry. Mm. The people who wrote this article found it's more like 7%. And really? that's pretty concerning. Yeah. yeah, It's very concerning. That
3: is a concern. So is that article online also?
4: It should be. It was a Reuters article Entitled "Is FINRA Doing Enough to Steer Investors Clear of Bad Brokers?" Okay,
2: yeah, we'll post a link. To, we um, or uh, to the show notes page for this episode, and uh, we'll either have a PDF there or a, a link to the exactly. article on, on the web. Exactly. So, Molly, you've given us uh, a lot of red flags that people should be on the lookout for such as their advisor talks about personal problems or personal struggles with money are there any other questions that we as investors ought to be asking but we just don't
4: well yes if an advisor comes up with an action plan for you or something they're proposing to you don't just say i agree with everything that you do i trust you completely ask about it being a little bit educated about your assets and your account and the direction your account is going is important Mm -hmm. And if you're not comfortable understanding what they're saying, bring someone you care about, a, you know, a family member, someone close to you to sit in with them. If the financial advisor does not want somebody else to come, that's a red flag. Okay. Sure. Really, a financial advisor should not be selling you or recommending products beyond your understanding.
3: Right. That's, so, that's one of those bits of advice I've always heard is if you don't understand it, don't invest in it.
4: There are complex products which would be things with a lot of bells and whistles that aren't easily understood by the average investor. Mm -hmm. If you're not very savvy in the markets, and you're a little bit confused about how some things work, those are probably things you want to stay away from.
3: Right. I mean, you know, I, I hear this in ads all the time. Uh, be sure to read the prospectus and all accompanying materials before you invest or send any money. But they write this stuff in legalese, you know, sorry, Kurt. <laughs> That's okay. but, uh But, you know, they, they write it in this language which is just as clear as mud and you can't figure out what they're really saying. So is there some way beyond hiring an attorney uh, or, or maybe that is the way to understand what this legal stuff is really saying.
4: Well, you'd probably want possibly your attorney or somebody in the business or your accountant to take a look at it, yeah. you know, if you're uncomfortable with it. But really, you know, ask questions. How does that investment work? Is there a holding period? Mm-hmm. Is there a charge if I need to get my money back? Right. You know, if any financial advisor tells you that it will make you 10%, that's the wrong financial advisor.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Financial advisors should not be guaranteeing you any you know, return on your assets. Right. They can give you guidance such as, I'm hopeful that the market will move in this direction. This is what I think will happen. They can tell you all that kind of stuff, but to say you're gonna double your money in the next 10 years, they can't say yeah. that. Yeah. Right. You know, They don't know what's gonna happen in the market. So there are certain investments that are less volatile than other investments. It's Mm -hmm. also very important to be clear with your financial advisor and realistic. If Mm -hmm. you tell your financial advisor, I don't want to take any risk, but I want to make 10% every year. The Mm -hmm. more risk you take, the more you can make, but the more you can lose.
3: That's right. And so
4: you want to get a real risk assessment of what's in your account. You don't want to find out after you've lost money mm-hmm. that it was a very risky strategy. Yeah. Another thing that's important, if you have a financial advisor that works for a firm with other people, ask them how the firm is structured. Ask them if they have a manager, mm-hmm. if there is somebody that they can talk to if they can't reach their financial advisor. Okay. And if you get uncomfortable talking, you can pick up the phone and call that person and run something by them.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: Also, every firm has a compliance department, every major firm. It is okay to call the compliance department and complain.
3: So an average person can just call the compliance department and ask a question or lodge a complaint?
4: A lot of branches have access to a compliance person. Okay. If your financial advisor has a manager, you can say, I need to talk to somebody to make a complaint. And they will gear you towards the legal area or somebody in that area that you can speak with. You can also write a written letter of complaint. Mm -hmm. And you can also go through FINRA for a complaint as well. Now, one thing I've had experience with in the past, you know, my ex-husband, many years ago I met him. And he showed me his account statement and mentioned that his financial advisor, who was his neighbor, Mm -hmm. which I wouldn't suggest in a lot of cases, had... You know, he felt sorry for him because he wasn't doing well financially. and So
3: your ex-husband felt sorry for the financial advisor?
4: You'd be surprised how many people wow. feel sorry for their financial advisor. Wow. Interesting. You'd be very surprised. Wow. The first thing I've heard on many, many calls, don't get them in trouble. I don't want to get them in trouble. Mm-hmm. They're a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. They were there for me when my husband died. Right. You know, right. a loyalty, a very, right. very strong loyalty that is shouldn't be there. And so I looked at the statements and found out that this financial advisor had bought a penny stock for my ex-husband and then it had lost money and he bought a bunch more with my ex-husband not knowing about it. Oh wow. So what I did is I called up the number on the statement and I asked to speak with the compliance person or the administrative manager in the practice and as soon as I mentioned what happened I could hear it in her voice just because I'm trained for that kind of thing and I could tell I wasn't the first person calling her right. mm-hmm. and so I changed my tone to say we would like our money back sure. and we got it
3: sure and you did and you wow. yeah we
4: got it. You got a check
3: right. Wow. Right. for the full amount
4: for the amount of those trades yes
3: fantastic
2: Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, it's the right result well you
3: got to ask the right questions yeah. and don't be afraid to uh, sort of ring the chime here a bit
4: and like I mentioned before If it's a financial advisor who moves into every aspect of your life, they go to um, weddings for your family, they go to funerals, they're there for your children, the thing to be concerned about is you're so tied into this person, are you seeing clearly what they're doing with your money?
3: Yeah. This is the problem of dual relationships, isn't it? In my field in psychotherapy, we are trained from the very first day, you don't have a dual relationship. If you are in a therapeutic relationship with somebody, that is your relationship. You don't go to their kids' birthday parties and you know all of these dual relationship friendship kinds of things. The ultimate example, of course, is therapists having sex with their clients. Right, you know? so, right. so it's kind of the same thing, Molly, I think is that you don't want a dual relationship with your financial advisor.
4: If you do, your perspective may change to the point where You're blinded with trust for that person and you're not seeing what's right in front of you. Let's say, for example, you had an account for a million dollars and you had it for 10 years with this client. And in 15 years, your account had made a total of 3%. But you loved your financial advisor. Yeah. Your financial advisor tells you, wow, you know, you're wonderful. You're maybe elderly and you don't get out of your house too much. Or maybe in some ways you're incapacitated a little bit and can't get out. But that financial advisor calls you every few weeks to check on you. They're a wonderful person. Mm. You it know? makes
3: you blind to bad performance.
4: But they're not performing badly. They're making quite a bit off of your account. Sure,
3: yeah. They're making money, but you're not. Wow. Wow.
2: Well, we're visiting today with Molly, who has worked in compliance uh, at a major financial services company, and we're learning a lot of what goes on sort of behind the scenes, if you will. It's time for us to take a short break. We'll be right back here at scammercast.com.
1: It's time to take a break during this episode of The Scammercast. Have you liked our effort on Facebook? Visit the link via our website at scammercast.com, and be sure to share any of our informative articles with your friends and family. It's all about education and protecting our seniors. We'll be right back.
2: There was a day when the villain was easy to spot. These days are different. Today,
0: scammers impersonate their victim's loved ones and make up an urgent situation. I've been arrested. I've been mugged. I'm in the hospital and plead for money to resolve it. At Western Union,
2: we want to help.
0: We remind you to never send
2: money to people you haven't met in person and always verify before you send. You work hard for your money. Don't let a few minutes with a scammer
0: separate you from what's taken days, weeks, or even a lifetime to work for. Western Union. Move money for better. A recent study found that most older adults fear running out of money during their retirement years, even more than their fear of death. A trust can be an effective way to manage and protect your assets while you're alive. Now, many folks believe that trusts are only for rich people. They are not. Midwest Trust Company of Missouri, located in Clayton, Missouri, offers professional trust management for clients all across the country. Using Midwest Trust is a great way to know that someone with experience and integrity will manage your wealth objectively. Naming Midwest Trust can provide you with peace of mind in knowing that you or your parents will not be exploited financially and lose all of the assets acquired during a lifetime of hard work. Midwest Trust will even work with you or your parents' own financial advisor. Don't let fear of running out of money drive your life. Contact Midwest Trust Company today by visiting the link to their website at scammercast.com. The Discipline to Grow. The strength of experience. The ability to adapt. Values that endure. Midwest Trust.
1: Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box from the voice box voicefarmers.com that's voicefarmers.com
0: wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever it can with perpetual advertising here's how it works Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique, perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors.
1: Welcome back to ScammerCast, your headquarters for the education and prevention of scams against our elders. Let's dig back in with your hosts, Curtis Bailey and Art Maines.
3: Welcome
2: back. We've taken a short break here at ScammerCast.com.
1: And
3: we are talking today with Molly, who has been a veteran of the financial services industry for over 30 years, working in compliance. And she's got interesting perspectives and a sort of insider's view, if you will, about what's going on behind the scenes a bit in uh, the world of financial advisors.
2: Yes, indeed. And while we were on break, uh, we were chatting about – Boiler room scams and, you know, these telephone calls that we get uh, promising us the, the moon and the stars if we just give, us some, give them some money to invest, right? And you've seen that, I'm sure, in the course of your career.
4: I've heard a lot about that. You know, most of the reputable firms you're not going to find that at these days. However, if you get phone calls from people that you do not know and they say they have the best idea, they have a tip for you, hang up the phone. Don't yeah. talk to the person, don't encourage the person, don't ask yeah. what it is. Yeah, A lot of those things are pump and dump schemes. A right. lot of them are different kind of schemes that are not going to make you money. It's going to make them a lot of money, but it's not going to make you money. So anytime you hear somebody say something that sounds too good to be true, run away from it.
3: There's our old advice. Don't huh?
4: bite on it, just move. Right. You know just trust yourself that it's time to move.
3: Right. And don't think you're smarter than they are and those sorts of things cuz one of the things that we've encountered uh, in our presentations Curtis and I is that the overconfidence bias is especially a problem for older folks, particularly older men. Do you do you see that as well in some of your work or did you see it when you were working?
4: The overconfidence of the the investor? Of the investor? or the um, yeah. financial advisor.
2: I, I'm almost wondering, uh, you know, it's it, it's overconfidence, and we talked to Professor Keith Gamble right. about this very topic. He, he did a study uh, at uh, DePaul University uh, and found that uh, older adults tend to be overconfident. And I'm almost wondering if it's a projection of mm-hmm. overconfidence. In other words, it's covering up the fact that they don't understand that investment that the financial advisor is proposing to them And they don't want to appear stupid. Yeah.
4: That is an excellent point. And there are many, many clients, and I've spoken with hundreds of clients, clients that are sophisticated or supposed to be sophisticated and have had an excellent career, professionals for many years, and probably would not want to admit that they don't know certain things. Sure. You know, it's the financial advisor's job to make sure that they understand what is being sold to them.
3: So this kind of goes to the direction of the characteristics or or vulnerabilities that, that people may have that make them susceptible to some of these less-than-ethical financial advisors. So maybe a little bit of that I don't want to appear stupid thing, but are there other characteristics that you've seen or heard in your work?
4: I think if I had to pick characteristics that are – the most susceptible to getting violated by a financial advisor
3: mm-hmm. would
4: be wanting to please someone, Okay. the need to want to please somebody, to want to be approved of, to want to not cause conflict, mm-hmm. and the codependent need to want to protect that person, even if they've made a mistake and you know that. Okay. If the financial advisor borrowed money from, oh, the poor guy's going to be out of work, out of the industry if I tell anybody about this and he really needed it, making excuses for that person. You know, the bottom line is that person should not be your good friend. They should not be your family, anybody else. They should be a business relationship. Right. Where if that person is doing something that is not in your best interest, you shouldn't be doing business with them.
3: Yeah. So it's it's a lot of the relationship. And, and as we were saying before the break, that dual relationship problem. And so on the financial advisor side, are there some like persuasion tactics, tricks of the trade that, that you have seen fraudulent financial advisors use to scam people? I mean, the sob story comes up oh, you know, I'm, I don't have the money for my kid's college uh, tuition, but other kinds of things? It
4: wouldn't usually be so blatant. Okay. Any financial advisor who is sophisticated enough in trying to scam somebody is not going to be that open about their problems.
3: All right. Sure. They'll be
4: more like trying to sell an investment that someone doesn't really need. Okay. Telling somebody that they need an annuity. Now, annuities can be the right product. It mm-hmm. all depends on the client's circumstances and level of understanding and what their goals are. However, but they are
3: pretty complex Complex most of the time?
4: Uh, I'll just give you an example. Let's say someone bought an annuity and they wanted a benefit on there where you got paid money for the rest of your life at some point down the road. And this is talking about it in simple terms. There are different surrender choices that you can choose as a financial advisor and let's say a surrender period means that you will pay money a fee if you liquidate that investment before a certain number of years so let's say you have a choice as a financial advisor of a four-year surrender period or a seven-year surrender period if you're buying an investment that you plan to use in 20 years there's no reason that you wouldn't choose the cheaper surrender period which is seven years it's more cost-efficient to you
3: Mm -hmm.
4: now if you're not sure if you want to leave this money invested for that long that annuity is probably not the right investment for you right you know because it's meant to be a long-term investment that particular one so if a financial advisor and you hear somebody say well i'm going to give you the shortened surrender period in case we want to buy something else in four years to me as a financial person i would say why are you planning to flip my annuity in four years so that you can make another commission in mm. four years? Mm. That's what I hear when somebody says that. Okay. Well, that might not advice. always be the case. Yeah. But I would question the judgment of somebody who is selling a long-term investment for short term.
3: Right. What's going on there?
4: Yeah.
2: Gotcha. Right. So, you know, we've talked uh, a lot before the break about fee-based accounts and and a little bit about the flip side which is commission-based Correct. products like the annuity or maybe some other products. What's your perspective on brokers who sell commission-based products? I mean, are are they always a bad thing?
4: Absolutely not. Okay. In in fact, I don't have a fee-based account. And the reason I don't have a fee-based account is probably because I'm controlling but I've about 90% of the ideas in my account come from myself.
2: Okay.
4: If I was actively trading, it might make sense to have a fee arrangement where it is cheaper than putting in trades. Now, the fee in a lot of circumstances also represents the input in the amount of time that the financial advisor spends with you going over a financial plan, going over a future, your retirement, you know, your estate planning, any of those things. I'll tell you about what a good advisor should be doing. The good advisor should be talking to you, asking all questions about where you want to go with your life, what your expenses are, what you, you know, your financial arrangement is, how much you spend, what your goals are, where you want to live when you retire, all of those kind of things. And then they want to talk about, you know, they want to tailor tailor their trading to what your needs are. Mm -hmm. Now,
3: It's got to be about you, the investor. It should all
4: be about you. It shouldn't be like every other client that that person has. You should be an individual and your needs should be heard and your account should be catered around your needs, which includes your financial advisor telling you the hard truth sometimes that you don't have enough money if you're spending as long as you're Mm -hmm, spending. mm -hmm. A good financial advisor would do that. Mm-hmm. A good financial will call you, or a financial advisor will call you when the stock market is down two thousand points to let you know not to be worried yeah. that it's going to come back. They don't just disappear when the market goes down right. or unavailable. Yeah. A good right. financial financial advisor will keep you abreast of your accounts. Will have the time to go over any questions that you have. I've also noticed and been aware when my financial advisor has said well you know that product costs this have you considered this it might be better for you
3: Mm. so
4: they're not always looking to make the most money off of me that's a sign that maybe they're not looking to get every penny out of you okay you know it's okay to ask what's the difference between a fee-based account and a commission-based account and why do you recommend the one that you recommend It's okay to ask, are there cheaper options or less expensive options? Right. It's okay to ask, how much risk is involved in this investment?
3: Right. What's the chance I could lose my money? Right. That kind of question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, that comes down to the bottom line is, what is the chance that I could lose my money here?
4: Now, unfortunately, there are still advisors in this industry that push a particular product. If I knew that, I wouldn't go to that particular investor. For example? For example, somebody who is good friends with a wholesaler, somebody who works at a certain annuity company, and that person gives them tickets to games and they go out to eat and mm -hmm. all kinds of freebies that they get for pushing a particular annuity, that still goes on. But you'd have to listen to that. What, What I would say in those circumstances, if a financial advisor's, offers you one product, I'd say, what other products do you suggest?
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Because you want to see that that financial advisor has clients and other products, not just that one product. Right.
3: You so know? asking questions seems like the major tactic or strategy that you would want an investor to use to stop these kinds of questionable tactics. Are there others that, that come to mind?
4: Question things you don't understand. If somebody calls you from a brokerage firm and says they work at the firm you're with and want to talk to about your account. It could mean that there's something going on. It might mean that this is just a part of their procedures, but it could also mean that they've identified something with the financial advisor that is causing that person to reach out to many clients and find out. It could be as much as you had a large commission because you bought an annuity and nothing's wrong at all. Mm -hmm. It could also be that the firm has concerns with how you're handling clients' accounts and has asked you to reach out to gather information on that financial advisor.
3: Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how it all boils down to asking the extra question and trusting your gut.
3: Yeah.
4: A lot of it does. It also, your financial advisor is the result of the amount of time you spend researching who to get. I mean, if you just pick somebody who's just out of school as has one-year experience, I'll kind of tell you about my insurance agent, the one with my car insurance and house insurance. I've mentioned it to you, Art, mm-hmm. when I was livid after this experience recently, that I decided to see if there was a cheaper alternative to my insurance company. So I called a random number, and I'm not in the car insurance, house insurance business, so I don't know a lot about that industry, and I'd been with somebody for 30 years. I asked that person if they had less expensive rates for the same insurance that I already had, and that person, I did not do my due diligence and vet that person, or I would have found out he only had a couple years in the industry. He came back with some quotes for me that were substantially lower than what I was paying, and I said, are you sure? Are these you know can I cancel my current insurance and am I gonna have these he said absolutely go ahead and cancel we're good to go two months later I got a letter saying that my insurance went up four hundred dollars Wow and I called and I said you can't do this you promised me this quote here well I didn't do my due diligence either and I didn't ask the right questions.
3: Which would have been? Which would have
4: been, is this a guaranteed price, or could your underwriters come back with a price down the road? Should I wait and hold on to what I currently have, or should I cancel it now? Because I wasn't told there was an option. So it's important to ask these questions, because even people who are sophisticated in the business can also get taken advantage of. Now, had I looked on broker check for this individual, I would have found out he only had two years in the business. I see. I wouldn't go to somebody with two years in the business because they don't have the depth of experience that somebody with 20 years in the business has.
3: So you think a minimum of 10 years, 20 years experience?
4: I couldn't give you an exact number because you could have somebody 30 years, and this is a true Mm -hmm. story and it's in the newspaper a couple years ago. A certain large brokerage firm had the largest financial advisor in the entire state in one part of this country 30 years in the business one job all the right signs uh he made five million dollars in revenue a year for their company wow they fired him why spotlight news everywhere is all the papers everywhere every brokerage firm wanted to grab this guy five million in revenue who wouldn't want this
3: right yeah that's big money
4: you gotta ask yourself one question why would anybody fire somebody who's bringing them $5 million in right. revenue? Right.
3: What did he do or not do?
4: Well, he obviously did something really bad. bad. He wasn't punch his boss.
3: Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. to get
4: fired for something like that, yeah, it has yeah. to be major. So, what wow. happened? Got spotlight. A couple clients complained about overtrading, which is churning. What churning is, is a financial advisor has control of your assets and overtrades them to make commissions for themselves. I see. Okay, so there were allegations that they should have been in a fee-based account at the level that this person was trading. They fired him and somebody grabbed him up off the street, almost a celebrity, he was Mm -hmm. on the top lists of all the brokerage firms in the United States because that's based on revenue, it's not based on Mm -hmm. the person's integrity, it's based on revenue. Yeah, yeah. And this person was fired and barred from the industry for life. Wow. So that company that acquired him gave him a whole bunch of money up front, probably. Mm. So you can see in that example that a company really did do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe Mm -hmm. they didn't do it soon enough, but they did the right thing, and the regulators did the right thing by barring this person so he couldn't hurt another financial advisor.
3: Right. So so going to that point you made just a moment ago, does the financial industry do enough to regulate, in your opinion?
4: I think it's double-sided here. You've got the financial industry, but you even more than that, the firms need to do more. Okay. okay. The firms need to do more and the problem is that the firms are out to make money. Yeah. If they paid somebody a lot of money to come join them, if they deal with a certain situation and fire them, they're not getting their money back. Unless that person is rich and they can sue them and get the money back. Right. What's really important is for to go one step back and go to a firm that doesn't hire bad financial advisors or potentially bad financial advisors. How do you know? That's the thing. Hmm. What they're proposing in that article too, the fault the broker check has and what would make it work really well for people Mm -hmm. is if they rated firms. If they rated firms, by how many bad apples they had, how many people were fired, that kind of thing. Everybody would see in black and white the firm's history, not just financial advisors' history. But the firm's. They could choose a firm based on the amount of people that they hire. Wow. That's not there yet.
3: And that information isn't anywhere available.
4: Not that I'm aware.
3: Wow.
4: Not that I'm aware. You can read the FINRA site. You can read complaints. You can read a lot of those things. Yeah. But there is no consolidated area that's available to the public that I'm aware of of how many Wow different bad brokers were fired from a certain firm.
3: So once again, it's up to us as individuals and and for those who are caring for an elder to be sure that we do our homework.
4: Well, you know, look at it like going to your doctor. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you go to your general practitioner for a lobotomy?
3: Right. Probably
4: not. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. You know, would you go have a heart procedure with your GP? They might be the greatest well-intentioned guy in the world, but they're not equipped. Right. To do something of sure. that nature. Now, sure. if you want to go buy a CD for a muni bond, it might not matter if you buy something with somebody who's only a few years' experience. If you want a complex financial strategy for yourself, your family, your estate, your future, you probably don't want to go to somebody just starting out.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. okay, yeah. They just need to get some training and get well, some perspective and experience, right?
4: The thing that's important, you don't want to be part of their learning curve,
3: right? That's a good
2: point. That's
4: really important to remember. They have to start somewhere, but it doesn't have to be with you.
3: Right. And so I've been hearing a little bit about some new rules coming out this fall uh, concerning when brokers or financial advisors change firms. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about this and what we can expect from the new rules?
4: Well, I've heard about it for a couple years, and although we hear about that, I'm not 100% confident it will happen in that time frame because I've heard about it for at least two years now. (laughs) Mm. And what they're, in essence, saying is that right now, financial advisors go from one firm to another, oftentimes for a financial incentive. It could be as much as 200% of their annual revenue. Wow. You know, and that's That's not that uncommon. Yes, it's significant. And usually it ties them into the new firm over a period of time. They get some money up front and then get some over a period of time, depending on how many how they do, you know, after they get to the new firm. However, it's not always in the client's best interest to be bouncing from firm to firm. There are products that are only able to be held at certain firms. They're called proprietary products. So let's say it's a Merrill Lynch and Merrill Lynch has their own particular fund. That might not be able to be transferred so you might have to sell that to move with your financial advisor somewhere else. The financial advisor is not being hurt by that move. Only you are. There are also closing costs for terminating your IRA and possibly other accounts at your existing firm to move. That's going to be on you, not the financial advisor. In some cases, financial advisors get discretionary money to be able to assist with Closing fees and that kind of thing for moving people. Mm -hmm. But it's not always the case and it's at their discretion. There's really no positive incentive for you to move other than you really want to be with your financial advisor and they're a really good guy. Okay. However, if that happens and you don't go with them, there's a good chance you could end up reassigned to someone else, depending on the situation and the structure of the firm. In that case, and that's happened to me, I've had wonderful financial advisors. That have left and gone to another firm, and because I was working for one firm, I couldn't leave my firm. Mm-hmm. It was a requirement that all my accounts stayed there. Sure. As soon as I got assigned to a new person, I called up the manager or somebody I knew, and I asked for a recommendation. What I asked them for is somebody they would trust their family with, mm-hmm. somebody w- they would trust their best friend with. I don't often say mother because some people don't like their mother. <laughs> you know? Good point. Mm-hmm. Sure. Good but point. I say somebody really care about. Yeah. And. Yeah. I've gotten some really good advice. You know, they think about it for a little while and they say, yeah, this person is somebody I would trust, somebody with a philosophy like mine. Good. And that's how I've gotten my last few financial advisors.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: It really is important because when they divvy up the accounts at some of the brokerage firms, they're doing it in any way they want. But you might be getting somebody who has no business and has never had a big account in their life, and they're, it's their lucky day, like the lottery, getting three or four accounts from somebody they don't know, and they're going to do everything they can to keep that account.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. You've mentioned that uh, an individual investor, whether it be a senior or maybe a family member who given care to a senior, if they have concerns about how an advisor is handling an account, they can call the, the compliance department directly. Uh, are there other ways they or other avenues they can use to, you know, talk out their concerns or voice a complaint? Even
4: well, it depends on what the complaint is. If you certainly, if you see money going out of your account, that's a major concern. I wouldn't go to your broker on that. That right. I would go to the firm and ask for the legal department or the compliance department and put your complaint in writing. Mm-hmm. If you have your statements, you can also try calling the number on there and asking for the branch manager. Now if it's something like you don't understand something in your statement, you're a little bit confused, and you know, sometimes a client makes a mistake. They read something they didn't right. recognize the stock on right. there. It could have been some kind of stock conversion, they didn't know the new stock. It could be a lot of things first choice would be to pick up the phone call your financial advisor and say I don't really understand this can you explain it to me if that answer is not sufficient or you're not comfortable with it then start calling to the other places or put in writing that complaint your financial advisor is required to file that complaint with the firm with the legal area very quickly Mm -hmm. and the legal area is supposed to respond to that if that doesn't happen and you place a complaint with your financial advisor and you don't hear anything, that's a problem.
3: Mm-hmm. Right, It's sure. a very, You should hear something fairly quickly.
4: <laughs> that depends on how backed up the law department is. I <laughs> see, sure, okay. But The thing is it's okay to call and check on your complaint. It's okay to go up the chain of command and call another person to ask to speak directly to the legal area. Now, most of the firms probably will give you an acknowledgement of your complaint. They might take a while or they might not in resolving your complaint or looking into it, but usually you get some acknowledgement that someone is working on it and you can call that person directly. You know, you should not sit and feel victimized because something happened and you have no one to talk about. Mm -hmm. You know, a caregiver who is uncomfortable with something like that, I would ask. the person who has the account, can I speak to your financial advisor? Can I make a phone call for you? Can I come to some meetings with you? Mm-hmm. You know, if you have to, get a lawyer.
3: Yeah, if you have to. I mean, you hate to go that route, but it's it's your money and your future that you're talking about.
4: You know, but run these things past someone that you trust and ask them. Yeah. You know, I've had many people come to me and ask me about things on their statement or mm-hmm. products that they have in their account and mm-hmm. whether it makes sense now my boyfriend that i live with right now when i first met him he was invested with someone i'd never heard of and he was riding the high life he had all these energy stocks that were doing really well and he's working on his retirement in the next few years and then six months later the energy market got hit and because he was concentrated in the energy market, he didn't really like the statements at that point.
3: Right. And yeah, so right.
4: I talked to him. His financial advisor had not called him, had not discussed anything with him. Those are bad signs. Sure. So I moved him to somebody that I work with, worked with, and know very well. And he's been happy ever since. His Good. account's doing much better.
3: Good. So, so that's the kind of of advice that I think our listeners most appreciate is. Find somebody that you trust who can advise you. And, and if, if you don't know anybody like that, then ask questions. Be sure that you do your homework.
4: The thing that's the most concerning is conversations I've had with people that are not in the industry in any way whatsoever. Maybe they're in a construction industry. Maybe they're anything unrelated to the financial industry. And the first thing they say is, I have no experience. So I'm relying completely on my financial advisor to help me. Mm-hmm. Don't just rely on one person to help you and put complete blind trust in them. Have somebody else look at your statements periodically, whether it's your accountant, whether it's your attorney, whether it's your brother-in-law, somebody that you feel confident has a good financial sense about them. And if something doesn't make sense, find out about it. You don't have to delve into every single trade every single day, but you should do a periodic check. Like if you had an account at the bank, a checking account, Hopefully, you periodically look at your account to make sure your money's still there.
3: Well, that's but, what we recommend here at the ScammerCast, is in order to prevent uh, fraudulent use of credit cards or debit cards, you check your account every day or so.
4: And that's the one other thing I wanted to mention, cybersecurity. Right. Be very careful when somebody calls you on the phone. Mm-hmm. If it was me, I would not give financial information to anybody who calls me, regardless of who they are or who they say they are Mm -hmm. i would ask them for their name and their information so that i could call them back so that i could check them out before i called them back anybody who calls you on the phone and says your account's in a lot of trouble i need this personal information Mm -hmm. from you you just you were scammed i need your social security number hang up on them Mm -hmm. okay that's not how they would be contacting you with a random person calling you like that yeah they will find a way to get in touch with you, whether it be to put a hold on your account and then reach out to you and give you the number to call Mm -hmm. in the department to remove it. If you get a letter or an email, there's often email scams saying they're from your financial firm, Mm -hmm. saying you're from somewhere else, your bank account, and there's a problem and you need to input something into the email. Mm -hmm. As soon as you open that email, you've created a problem for your computer
3: right malware and viruses and stuff Yeah.
4: if they need to get in touch with you they'll get in touch with you and not a blast email right you know one of the problems facing financial firms today are email fraud mm-hmm. is one of the big ones and there are hackers believe it or not that are constantly trying to get at your money and the money of financial firms there are a lot of protections in place but Sometimes the firms need to take additional steps to make sure that your money is protected. And part of that, if you get an email, you know, get an encryption on your email right. is the first thing. Right. Get an antivirus on your computer, any computer you use. Don't use, when you're in a public Wi-Fi situation, don't put any financial information in there. Don't put any secure information in a public site because there are people that can get hold of it. Mm-hmm. There are hackers that go into people's emails and follow them for a month or two and watch how they talk, watch their relationships mm-hmm. with their financial advisor, and then send an email to the financial advisor and say, hey, I'm buying a car and I'm short $5,000. Can you wire that to me today? It's mm-hmm. really important. Right. And then the financial advisor may be rushes to get that wire through because they're worried about losing their big client mm. you know so they get that through and then the fraudster says wow i got five thousand dollars let's try for fifty thousand right and right. they get and, it and, and, they and get I,
2: it. I know we all get annoyed uh we're in such a hurry you know we call the bank or we call a financial institution and they make us Give uh, you know our, our mom's maiden name or, or mm-hmm. various other things. I know we get annoyed by that, but really we ought to be thankful,
4: right? Mm-hmm. You should be thankful yeah. because there are tremendous attempts to get money out of clients' accounts going on everywhere, and not I at would, any particular firm, but everywhere.
3: Right, and I would bet that the firms themselves are are big targets for hackers.
4: They are, but they spend a tremendous amount of money. Making sure that their systems are secure. I mean when's the last day that you've heard one of the brokerage accounts had a major hack into Uh, their system? Never, but I hope I never do. I hope you never do. Certainly not at my brokerage. The thing is if you had a major firm, you know, and somebody took some of your money, yeah. Most likely that firm would protect whatever it is that was stolen under Route, sure, sure. You know, so that's my theory about the hotels. Again, do you want to be in a bed and breakfast when you get bed bugs, and the place goes under, and you sue them, and you're sorry we're not here anymore? Right. Right. Or do you want to be at Hilton? And have Hilton stand behind whatever they did right. to you.
3: And we're so, not saying that Hilton has bed bedbugs. <laughs> right. Just to clarify, <laughs> no, I, it's no, just an example. I'm saying sure. I'd rather be there yeah, yeah, if something, right. something that happened. Yeah, something backs you up. Yeah, that, that's right. Absolutely that's credible. I
4: and, stay at Hilton yeah. all the time, right, right. and I've uh, so never, kudos had bed to yeah. never had yeah, a bedbug. Right. Never had Right, right, right. Okay, but it's my same theory with firms. You also want to be wise. You don't want to send yeah. an email to your broker, giving your account number, your right. social security number, anything. Sure your account number, your statements, anything like that. If you need to do that, overnight it to them, walk into the office and drop it off, fax it to them, but you should not be emailing important information. It's important to protect yourself and your assets. Your financial advisor will do a good job and if you feel that they're being unreasonable by asking this information, they're really trying to follow their firm guidelines. Mm -hmm. One thing I would be concerned about when a financial advisor doesn't follow the guidelines because they want to please you as a customer and says, Mm -hmm. just don't tell anybody I'm doing this for you. Just say you spoke with me. That's a problem. If you hear those things, get a new financial advisor. Got it. Because if they're lying about that, what else are they lying about?
3: Good point. Yeah. Well, Molly, uh, you've given our listeners tremendous information and insight here, and we are so grateful to you for all that you've shared today.
2: Yeah, it's obvious you have a true passion for... Protecting the investor and it shows in everything that you've said. So, thank you very much for coming on today.
4: Well, thank you for having me.
3: Yeah, it's been our pleasure. And we'll have links to the article that Molly mentioned and any other resources on the show notes page at scammercast.com. And we want to encourage you, our listeners, to. Uh, share our episodes with your friends via Facebook. And, and if you like something about our episode or, or if you like something that Molly had to say, leave us a note at scammercast.com or on our Facebook page for The Scammercast.
2: That's right. And until next time, this is Curtis Bailey, your co-host at scammercast.com.
3: And Art Mains, licensed clinical social worker and your co-host at scammercast.com, encouraging you and reminding you to help us hammer the scammers.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of The ScammerCast, your headquarters for education and protection of our elderly from scams worldwide. Be sure to visit us at scammercast.com, where you can send us your stories and tips, as well as send us your feedback, visit our Facebook presence, and more. Thank you for listening to this episode, and until next time, hammer the scammers. The information we share in
0: this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only and should never substitute for appropriate legal, financial, or medical advice from qualified professionals. Always consult with an attorney, physician, or financial professional for the correct advice for your particular situation.